a soldier of the cross of Jesus. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. You have to know the principle behind John 3.16. That's the word. Christ is enough. Christ is the enough. Is, when you read the Bible, when you understand how beautiful the presence of God is, you can't take it for granted. The Bible says that you must eat of this word daily. It's only the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Christ is enough. Christ it's only the precious enough. blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Hello, this is Pastor Caleb Sukul. Thank you for tuning in into Calvary with Caleb Sukul. Please prepare your hearts as we listen to this week's sermon. Good morning. I greet you in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's always a privilege of mine to share the word of the Lord with you. And it's always a great privilege to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing in our series in James, and we're at the last chapter of James. And chapter 5 is quite big, so I'm going to do it over two weeks. And we'll do part one today, and then after that we'll do part two. So let's turn to the book of James, chapter five. So you know the author of James is James. That's the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Half-brother because? Same mother. Same mother. Why same mother? Because Mary was divorced. Why? Why say mother? Very good. Jesus is not Joseph's son. Very good. This is also the first book written chronologically. Um, and when we read the book of James, I'm sure by now you understand, James is really telling us that the Christian life is not a bed of roses. So if we have that idea in our heads, we are sorely, sorely mistaken that the Christian life it's not a bed of roses. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we must take up our cross daily and go after him. And when you understand the cross, what did Jesus do with his cross? He died on the cross. So daily we have to die to ourselves and die to our flesh. We have to take up the burden of the cross, the burden of what it means to be a Christian, that we are separated from the world and separated unto the Lord. Amen. The good thing about the book of James and that we started on chapter 1, we've made our way all the way to chapter 5. I've enjoyed doing the teaching. I hope you've enjoyed it, listening to it as well. And one of the things we know that Christ is in our boat because James guarantees that we will have trials. But he also gives us the remedy that Christ is there with us, that Christ is in the boat with us. So let's go to James chapter 5 verse 1. I'm reading from James chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says like this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Now, this portion of scripture over here talks about the rich people that are oppressing poor people and that the Lord will judge them. So he's, when he says, come now, it's you're going to understand there's urgency there. It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded 
and the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Verse 4, Indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. That's the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, You have lived on the earth in the pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the days of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Alright? Let's, let's leave it there. And I have a few points, two points that I want to cover. Point number one, a corrupt society. And point number two, keep your eyes on Christ. Let's talk about a corrupt society here because it opens up in the picture of what's going on here about how rich people are oppressing poor people. How rich are oppressing the poor. You see, when you do that, if you are that person, the Lord sees. The Lord sees how you abuse your power. The Lord sees how you abuse your power. That's why the first thing he says there is, come now. That come now is really a cry of repentance. He says, come now, we know what you are doing. You know what you are doing. The Lord knows what you are doing. Come now to repentance. You are abusing your power. We all know that you are doing it. Come now. Come now is a cry to repentance. First one, come now. It's a call to repentance. We are to lay up our treasures in heaven, but the wicked, rich people lay up treasures here on earth. You know that, that we have to lay up treasures in heaven because he talks about that here, about moth-eaten treasures. How can you lay up treasures here on earth? Surely the moths will eat it. But if we lay it up in heaven, it's a different story. You see, we must make a differential here because we're dealing with rich, right? But we understand that the Lord will bless as well, right? The Lord will bless. So when we're dealing with the rich, you must understand you have godly rich people and then you have wicked rich people. The cry over here is dealing with wicked rich people. That this is what they are doing. Wicked rich people. So we must make that differentiation that this year is God dealing with wicked rich people. Now, if, if you are a person that believes in titles, you'll think every person is automatically a good rich person. If you are title driven. But we have to understand when the Bible talks like this, we have to talk between the two. That not everybody, because they are Christian and have money, does not automatically fall into the category of a godly rich person. Some people who are Christians and have money are wicked. And we hide behind the title of a Christian. But he's not dealing with anything outside of the church here. He's dealing with the church. So if we have money, and if we are Christian, are we a godly rich person? That's the point that he's making here. He's not saying there's nothing wrong with money, you mustn't be wealthy and nothing. No, 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 no. The point is, if you are a Christian and you have money, did that money change you? Are you still a godly person? 
or have you become like the world, wicked like them? Verse 4, verse 4 is very interesting. Verse 4, it says like this, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Now, let's exegete this text, right? Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are you that person? This is dealing with a corrupt society. Are you that person that overworks your staff and underpays them? Whether you have business or whether the, whatever the case may be, they mowed your field and then this fraud all mentioned in the same sentence. Are you that person? Are you that person that will overwork your staff and then underpay them? That's what the word of God is saying. And then he goes on to say, which you have kept back by fraud. That means you asked them to do something. The guy did it and they never pay him his due. Right? The Bible says like this, it cries out and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord. And what Lord? What is that word there? It's our word. What is that translated to? The Lord of hosts. Not just any Lord, because when you use the word Lord, or if you use the word God, that's very vague. God of love? What is it? The God of mercy? Because now you're robbing your people, now the God of mercy must show mercy on you. What is it? It's the Lord of hosts. Not just anybody. It's the Lord of hosts. You understand? It's the Lord of hosts. So what is the solution there? You have to pay your staff correctly. <laughs> it's a simple solution. You have to pay your staff correctly. You have to pay your staff correctly. There's no other way of turning around. If you have that person that has overworked your staff and underpaid them, you now have to pay your staff correctly. Now let's go to verse 5. Verse 5 says like this, You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Verse 4 comes first, that you've underpaid, overworked, you've underpaid. Verse 5 says now you're living the life of luxury. So because you're underpaying, that now feeds into your life of luxury. <laughs> because it costs money to pay installments on a luxury car. To live in a nice area, there's a high bond in that. But at what price did it come? At what price did it come? The fact that you are robbing your own staff, you're robbing the people that are working for you so you can drive the nice car and live in the nice house. That's what it's coming to. We can't do that. Because now when you do that, you're saying God is not your source. What you are saying is, you are your own source. Amen? Verse 6, let's go to verse 6. You have condemned, we have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now we need to understand what's going on in verse 6. 
In verse 6, this is a corrupt society that's, that's depicted here. In verse 6, the corrupt rich people were controlling the courts. Nothing new that's happening today. That the rich are buying off the judges. And look at what he says. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. That means that even though these workers took them to the CCMA, the rich paid off the CCMA to get what they want. I have a question. Will the Lord bless us through corruption and bribery? So can we be a part of corruption and bribery? Can we as good Christians be a part of corruption and bribery and call it the blessing of the Lord? No. That is exactly what James is talking about here. And this is what is going on. And Paul made it clear, who am I to judge the world? I have to judge the church. That means this year is actually going on in the church as well. That we have Christian business people who are corrupt. And hide under the name of God, hide under the name of Christianity, that no one must know what's going on under the table. But when you see the fancy car in the big house, the Lord bless you. But how did it come? Did it come through the Lord? It did not come through the Lord, so you can't call that the blessing of the Lord. The Lord will not use bribery and corruption to bless you. So that was never the blessing of the Lord to start off with. And then their conscience gets to them. Then they want to start doing things for the church. I'll do this, I'll do that. Can't sleep at night because they know how they rob people. So now I want to do feeding schemes. Or if the church roof has a leak, I'll fix the leak. Because they know how the money came. It's eating away at their conscience. This is what James is dealing with here. This is what James is dealing with here. He's dealing with a corrupt society, but just living in a corrupt society is not enough. We have to make the application that is dealing with corruption in the church. In the church. So we have a, have a big problem. How do we handle this? How do we handle this? And you know, we're coming out of chapter 4 and he uses a strong word there saying adulterers and adulteresses. Because you broke covenant with the Lord. Even this is still breaking covenant with the Lord because the Lord doesn't need bribery and corruption to bless you. The Lord will bless you by his own means. Amen. We cannot have corruption in the church. We cannot have it. Whether it will be on a financial level, James is talking about finances there. But the principle of corruption, we cannot have it in the church. We have to keep the church pure. That is the ethos of what James is saying, that in whatever trial we are going through, we cannot forget who we are and how God has called us. That we have to stay pure before the Lord. We can't praise people for their corruption. We can't, if, if an opportunity arises as well, we can't take the opportunity to be corrupt, to take a bribe or offer a bribe. 
or anything of that sort. This is what James is dealing with here. That we are living in a corrupt society, but the corrupt society must not affect the church. The church cannot become corrupt. Amen? This is a corrupt society. Let it stay outside in the world. Corruption cannot come into the church. Let's go to verse 7. Verse 7 reads, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you become condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And I'm going to stop there. Point two, keep your eyes on Christ. So the whole theme of this book is about trials whole theme about this book is on trials and how we handle trials. The whole theme about this, in fact, when we start in chapter 1, verse 2, the book tells us that we will go through trials, that we will fall into trials. That theme has come across the whole book. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James 1, verse 2, it tells us that this will happen, that we will go through trials and that we must count it all joy. And we have to keep that in mind when we see this. And we have to keep that in mind when we read every other scripture about the book of James because that sets the pace that we will fall into trials. But in falling into trials, we have to keep our eyes on Christ. We have to keep our eyes on Christ. Verse 8, let's go to verse 8. Verse 8 says like this. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The king is coming back. And look at it. It says that even though you're going through these trials, even though you're going through these trials, don't be distracted by it. Don't be distracted from our core Christianity our core beliefs. Don't allow that weight to come upon you and affect your Christianity negatively. We will go through trials. We are not exempt. All of us will go through trials, but we have to know how to go through our trials. We cannot be, we cannot be distracted by our trials. The core essential here is that Christ is coming back. That regardless of which denomination we are in, Christ is coming back. 
Christ is coming back. And we have to be that, let that be the center of our attention. That even in our trials, and that no matter how heavy it may be on us, we cannot forget to keep watch every day. We cannot forget our core essentials. We cannot forget to take up our cross every day. We cannot only take up our cross and follow Christ when things are good. When we are tested, when we go through these trials, that's when it really counts. That's when the rubber meets the road. That's when you have to separate the boys from the men and say, though he slain me, yet shall I serve the Lord. Amen? Verse 9 is reminding us on how we go through our trials with the right attitude. We go through our trials with the right attitude. Because sometimes you can become very negative when you're going through something. Why me? <laughs> you can fall into that trap very easily. Why me? The why me? But verse 9 makes it clear. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And even though you may be on the receiving end of an oppressed rich person or bad boss or whatever the case may be, the Lord is there. The Lord will judge them. The Lord will deal with them. Amen. Verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Now, you need to know your Bible history. It says take the prophets because the prophets of old suffered. The prophets of old were persecuted. Not these Scotians you see running around here. The prophets of old were persecuted, but they endured. Never charge for prayer, never charge for anything, or no nonsense of that sort. But they were persecuted. They were obedient to the Lord. Some of them were even obedient unto the Lord until death. I don't think our prophets today will die, but anyway, that's another sermon that. We have to know our Bible history, how the prophets were treated. They suffered, yet they had to be patient. Verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen at the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Remember how Job was tested? He says, have you considered Job? Job here is our example. Job is our example. The Lord restored him double-fold. The Lord restored him double-fold. Now, the prosperity gospel will take that and do all kind of stupid things with it. Double for your trouble, all that rubbish. Don't, don't get bluffed by all of that. You must understand why Job was restored. Job chapter 1, verse 1, gives us the answer. This is why Job was restored. Alright? What is the answer? There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. No other reason. 
we live the life pleasing before the Lord. No, don't don't get don't buy that rubbish story over there. They're selling down the street. If those boxes are ticked in your life, then we can talk. But it's not automatic. This is why Job was restored. He was blameless, he was upright before the Lord. A lot of people went through a lot of things in the Bible and they never have the restoration that Job experienced. But why? Right at the beginning of the book, God tells us why. He was blameless before the Lord, he was upright. He lived correctly before the Lord. And when he went through his trial, and after he passed his trial, he passed his test, that's why the Lord restored him. And just didn't restore him, gave him double for everything that he lost. Because of how he started. He lived a life that was pleasing before the Lord. You understand? Job's attitude during his trial was what set him apart. This is why the Lord blessed him afterwards. Verse 12, it says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. See, when we go through trials, please listen to me. You will go through trials, right? And we must have the right attitude. But when we are going through these things, don't take matters into your own hands. Right? Let's read that again. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. What did Job's wife say to him? Curse God and die. It's so easy to become negative. <coughs> so easy to become angry, angry at God. So easy to, to do that. But do not curse God, don't be angry at God. Do not blame God. Do not blame God. Do not go from church to church looking for your blessing, like they're selling a better Jesus somewhere else. Don't do that. That's stupidity first, did you? Because we're serving the same Jesus, is it? There's no different Jesus. Don't be that person that goes from church to church looking for your blessing. Your blessing is not in any church. It's in Christ Jesus. Don't do that. You're bringing dishonor to the name of Christ. Don't do that. Don't go make a deal with the devil as well. If you are a convert, don't go back to your old religion. If you are born Christian and you don't know why the Lord is not doing something for you, go and read Job chapter 1 verse 1. Maybe you're not living a life pleasing unto the Lord. But don't now go and run to other religions thinking that the Lord now is going to bless you or you're going to make a way for yourself. Don't do that. Don't go to palm readers. Please don't be stupid now, please. Don't do silly things. The Bible doesn't speak about that. Is Jesus our source? Then we don't need anything else. 
Don't run from this prophet to that prophet. Don't do that. You want prayer after prayer? Is your trust not in the name of the Lord? Don't go to witch doctors. Don't go and make vows in the temple. It's either Jesus can or he can't. It's either you're with Jesus or you're not. It's either you're saved or you're not. You can't be half pregnant. You're either a Christian or you're not. Only look to Christ. In our trials, only look to Christ. That is the test. The trial, whatever it is, is secondary. The real test is, is your eyes on Jesus Christ. Just like when the storm rose, they lost sight of Christ. It's only when they turned to him that he rebuked the storm. Keep your eyes on Christ. God is well aware of what you're going through. It's not that he's oblivious to it. He's well aware. He may be allowing it to test us, test our faith. Or, and we must be mature now, or our carnality brought it on ourselves. Only you know. And if that is the case, where you, like in James 4, calls us adulterers, where you're running to the world and coming back, how long will you then be double-minded? If you're not living in sin and you're going through a trial, then let the word of the Lord comfort you. Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to close on this. Verse 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Amen. So we'll do part two next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, O Lord, that this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. Thank you, O Lord, that we can come and gather in your name freely and freely worship our Creator. Thank you, Lord, for the many things that you have brought us through, God, that we can still hold on to you, God. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are true to perform your word. Uh, we thank you that in everything we will keep our eyes firmly on you that we will not be moved by any trial, we will not be distracted by it, but in our trial, O oh God, may we seek you more earnestly, O oh God. May we hold on to that old rugged cross. May we hold on to Christ evermore. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you are the one that sees us through. For those of us that need to repent, may we repent before the Lord. And may this repentance be final. For those of us, O oh God, who live a good life, that walk with you, O oh Lord, that are going through trials. Father, take us through it. May we always look to you. But above all, God, you are sovereign and you have the last say. We thank you for everything you have brought us through. Give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, Calvary with Caleb Suku. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications. You're welcome to rate, review, or comment below. Until next week, let Christ be seated in our hearts. God bless you.